Welcome to Huntersville Lutheran Sermon Webcast. We invite you to join us here for worship every Sunday at 10 a.m. Find out more at huntersvillelc.com. Thank you for joining us today. Um, I've, been, uh, I've been a Christian for my entire life. God has, God has granted me that blessing. My parents uh, brought me to the font of holy baptism when I was just, a, just about a week old. But I, I don't think it really matters whether you've been a Christian a long time like me or you're kind of new to Christianity. I, I think there's a good chance that you've probably asked the same question over and over that I find myself asking. Why is living the Christian life so hard? And sometimes I, I think about that question silently or talk to a trusted friend about it, but I find myself asking it more often than I, I'd really like to admit. And now there's sometimes I'll admit where I think I'm doing a pretty good job at living the Christian life, where I think I've got things figured out, right? And I get a little bit more confident in, in doing what Jesus says and doing what God asks me to do. But just when I find myself getting confident, you know what happens? I fall really hard on my face, like almost like I did this morning on the stage when we were setting up. I fall really hard. And then I ask myself again and again, why is living the Christian life so difficult? And whether you've been a Christian, a lifelong Christian like me, or you're brand new to Christianity, it's a question you've probably asked at least once in your life. Maybe you've even asked it this past week. Because I've got to admit, the Christian life is hard. It can be downright frustrating. We know that God has, uh, God has, God tells us that there's things that we're supposed to do. There's things he wants us to do. But when you're living the Christian life, there's no immediate payoff, is there? There's no immediate reward. There's no way to track how you're doing in your progress as a Christian in the Christian life. Right? Like when you go above and beyond and show your spouse that you love them, God doesn't, God doesn't pat you on the back and say, hey, good job, good job. He doesn't do that. Sometimes I wish he would. It would feel kind of nice. When you go above and beyond and you, and you honor your father and mother, God doesn't give you a gold star sticker to, to put on your chest or a, a plaque that you can hang on your wall. Since there's no way to track how you're doing in the Christian life, it can be, in living the Christian life, it can be incredibly frustrating. And not only is it frustrating, but living the Christian life can also be discouraging, right? Because we try and we try and we try to live the way God calls us to live. Like we know that God calls us to, to love the unlovable. We know that God calls us to forgive, even when forgiveness seems like an impossibility, that he tells us to, to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to, to love our neighbor as ourselves. We try really hard in this whole process of saying yes to Jesus and saying no to sin. But we do a pretty bad job, don't we? Because all of these spiritual goals, they kind, of, they kind of start out like those New Year's resolutions that you made a few weeks ago. They start out well-intentioned. You start out with this great fervor and desire to keep all of these goals, but as soon as you make them, you just as quickly break them. And instead of saying yes to Jesus and no to sin, you say no to Jesus and you say yes to sin. So instead of progress, you get regression. Instead of peace, you get pain. Instead of joy, you get guilt. I think the Christian life can be pretty discouraging. It can also be disheartening too, right? You know what God has called you to be in this world. He's called you to be the salt of the earth. He's called you to be the light of the world. He's, he, tells you that, he tells you that you are to trust in him, to stand back and, and put your life in his hands. And we know this, and we believe this, and we try this, but what happens? Right, like, at least in my life, the, the, I try to let my light shine, and it seems to be extinguished by the darkness of the people around me. I, I try to forgive people like God calls me to forgive, but they take this forgiveness as a sign that, that what they did wasn't really that bad, and so that they can just go and do the very same thing that hurt me in the first place. I try to, to trust God with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, all of my strength, but the minute that something in my life doesn't go the way that I planned it to go, what happens? Trust takes flight. Worry lands right back into my heart. 
living the Christian life is hard. And it's especially hard when you, when you look at the world in which we are called to live this Christian life. Because we all know what God says is, is the blessed life. We all know what God says is the good life. But the problem is what God says is blessed and what the world says is blessed are two totally different things. Right? Because the world, when they look at what God calls blessed, they scoff and laugh. When, when the world looks at the people that God calls blessed, they use them as doormats in this world. Right? Because for the world, the, the good life, the blessed life, it's, it's about being prideful. It's about being brash. It's about, it's about the, the cars and the house. It's about the job and the money. It's about me, myself, and I at the expense of my neighbors. And Jesus, this, this is the world in which you want me to live my Christian life. It's hard. Have you ever felt like that? Have you been there where, where the Christian life seems so hard that it's an impossibility even? And you're ready to just throw in the towel, call it quits, and stop trying altogether? I've been there. Probably more often than I would like to admit, probably more often than you would care to know. But for anybody who's been frustrated with living the Christian life, this sermon is for them. For anyone who's ever found themselves completely and total, totally frustrated and, and discouraged by living the Christian life, this sermon is for them. For anybody who's found themselves disheartened while they're trying to live the Christian life and they, they think it's so hard that they just want to throw in the towel, this sermon is for, it's for them. It's for me. It's for all of you. And I'm not just talking about the, the sermon that I'm preaching this morning. I'm talking about Jesus' sermon. I'm talking about his Sermon on the Mount because, because anybody who wants to, to try to live the Christian life, anybody who wants to set out and, and say yes to Jesus and say no to the sin, this, is, this Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is a sermon that they, that they absolutely must listen to. Because everything that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, it's not going to make sense in, unless you apply it to your Christian life. And in order for that to happen, Jesus has to fundamentally alter your perspective on the Christian life. And here's why. Because in order for you to live the Christian life, you've got to understand the kind of life that God is calling you to. Let me, put it, let me put it another way, I guess. If you take everything that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew seven twenty-eight, and you apply it to the wrong life, to the wrong context, if you look at it with the wrong perspective, none of it is going to make any sort of sense to you whatsoever. And not only that, but you're going to end up in the same place that you and I feel all the time. You're going to end up frustrated. You're going to end up discouraged. You're going to end up disheartened. And you're just going to want to throw in the towel and quit. And this is exactly why. Jesus needs to fundamentally alter and overhaul our entire perspective on the Christian life. And this is what he does in the first six verses of, of Matthew chapter 5. It's his, it's his doorway into the Sermon on the Mount. It's his introduction to his entire sermon. You know, Jesus, at this point in his ministry, he's traveling around the, the region of Galilee. And he's, he's casting out demons and he's healing people. But most importantly, he's preaching and teaching the good news about the kingdom of God. And when he teaches and preaches, he's doing so with an unprecedented and an unparalleled authority. Uh, something that the, that the people in Galilee have not heard. And so as you can imagine, when people encounter Jesus, this masterful teacher and preacher, the guy who can cure diseases that are incurable, the guy who can cast out demons, what happens? Well, huge crowds amass, right? They want to follow him around. They want to get a chance to, to look at and to listen to and, and see Jesus in action. But when Jesus sees these crowds kind of gathering around him, these large crowds that are growing, he goes up onto a mountain. 
And I don't know if it's because he needed a reprieve from the crowds or he was tired from the preaching and the teaching because after all, he is true God and true man. He gets tired just like you and I do. No matter what it was, Jesus sat down on that mountainside and when he does, his disciples come to him. And Jesus takes this opportunity to teach his disciples valuable, valuable lessons on what it means to live the Christian life. But before he can explain to them how to live the Christian life, he's got to alter their perspective just like he has to alter ours. So he says to them, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are lowly. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Now, we don't have the reactions of the disciples recorded for us in Matthew chapter 5, but I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say that they were probably flabbergasted at, at what Jesus just said to them. Right? They've been following Jesus at this point around for about a year. So they've seen all of the preaching and teaching. They've seen the miracles. They've seen him cast out demons. And they're beginning to become convinced that Jesus is the the Messiah that God promised throughout all of the Old Testament. And like all of their Jewish cohorts, they were expecting something great and something different from Jesus. They were expecting him to usher in a a turning of the tide where poverty and oppression and hardship were gone. And and he would usher in this, this brand new era of blessing. But then what does Jesus call blessed? He says the poor in spirit. He says, the hungry and the thirsty are blessed. The lowly and the mourning, they are blessed. Come on, Jesus, that doesn't really sound like much of a blessing at all, does it? I also don't think it's too far of a stretch to say that we probably have very close to the same reaction when we hear Jesus' utterance of these blessings, right? Well, it all depends on the the perspective on which you're looking at them. Because poor, lowly, hungry, and thirsty, mourning, none of them are blessings, if you're looking at them from an earthly perspective. And because we live in, and work in, a, in the world out there, this, is, this tends to be the perspective that you and I have. This earthly perspective. A perspective that sees what God calls blessings as kind of silly and foolish, and how could we ever live a life like that? And this is what Jesus says. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are mourning. Blessed are those who are hunger and thirsting. Blessed are those who are Lowly. This is why Jesus needs to fundamentally overhaul and alter our perspective. Because we're often looking at these things from the wrong perspective. As you're letting these, these statements of blessing from Jesus ruminate in your heart, I, I want to challenge you to chew on another question. I want you to dig really, really deeply, and I, I don't want you to give just a surface answer because it's hard or because this is what's happening in my life. I want you to dig really deeply, and I want you to answer this question by writing it in your service folder so that you hold on to it. Why do you struggle so much living the Christian life? Remember, no surface answers. I want you to dig deep, and I want you to to really think about it. I want you to take your, your pen and your service folder, and I want you to write it down. I'll give you 30 seconds.
Everybody got one? Need more time? I feel like a teacher. Now that you have this answer, now that you've dug deep and you, you've kind of you've thought about why you struggle so much to live the Christian life, probably the most obvious answer to this question is sin, right? I'm going to guess that some of you, maybe many of you, wrote down the answer to sin. And, and you would be right. You would be right that sin is the cause for all of the, the struggle and the hardship that you endure. Sin is the cause of, of knocking you off track, of living the Christian life. But sin does something, something really terrible and disastrous when it comes to actually living the Christian life. What it does is it, it pulls on the, the, heart string, or the, the strings of your heart, the prideful strings that exist in your heart, and it makes you. It turns you into the very center of living the Christian life. It says that you are the, the start, you are the, the continuance, that you are the end, you are the be-all and the end-all of the Christian life, as if nothing else mattered, that, the, that you're li- you living your Christian life is all about what you do in the kingdom of God. It's all about the, the amount of people that you contact. It's all about what you make of yourself. It's all about how you try to appease God by following X, Y, and Z in, what, in whatever way you're doing. Right? This is what sin does to us. And if you are the very center of living the Christian life, what is the only place that that's going to lead? The frustration, the disappointment, to being discouraged, to thinking that living the Christian life is so hard that you don't want to do it anymore. This is a perspective that God needs to, to turn on its ear and completely get rid of. Because if you try to live the Christian life, if you think that you are the one who is the be-all and end-all of living the Christian life, it's never going to get you anywhere. And in fact, it's an impossibility. But God tells us what the starting point is. He tells us what living the Christian life is about. And it doesn't start with you. In fact, it has very little to do with you. The starting point for the Christian life, it's God. And so is the continuance of living your Christian life. So is the, so is the end of your Christian life. The, the, Jesus, or God is the starting line and the finish line and everything in between when it comes to living your Christian life. And if this is the perspective you have on living the Christian life, if this is the perspective that you hold to, you're going to find a whole lot of comfort. If God is the starting point and this is the perspective on which you are holding when it comes to living the Christian life, you're actually going to be able to understand the life that God calls you to live. If this is the starting point, if, if God is your starting point, and this is the perspective through which you are viewing the entirety of your Christian life, and you know what's going to happen? The frustration and the discouragement and the, dis- the disappointment and the disheartening moments, they're going to subside. Not completely, not totally, but they will subside. And you know what you're going to find? You're going to find that when living your Christian life, you're going to be filled with a whole lot more hope and encouragement and joy and peace as God enables you to live this Christian life. With this as the perspective moving forward with the Sermon on the Mount, with God as the starting point and the continuance and the ending point of your entire Christian life, now you can finally move on into what Jesus actually says in the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to it again. Jesus says, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He said, blessed are those who are mourning, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who are, who, are, who are lowly, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Nothing that Jesus says in those four statements of blessing, none of it has anything to do with your, your physical earthly life. Did you notice that? 
Like, right? He's not talking, he's not telling you to go out and, and get rid of everything that you own and the cars in your driveway in your house and make yourself purposefully poor. He's not telling you to go out and to walk around mopey and mourning and crying all the time. He's not telling you to go out and, and purposely starve yourself and, and deprive yourself of water. He's not telling you to go out and make yourself a doormat for the rest of the world. That is not what Jesus is doing. And don't misunderstand that. No, instead what Jesus is doing is he, he's talking to you about spiritual matters and he's showing you the starting point for where your Christian life is because it has nothing to do with the world in which you live and work. It has nothing to do with even sitting right here. You know what? Living the, where, the, where living the Christian life starts? It's right here. It starts in your heart. It starts with God making your heart right. All of these things that Jesus talks about in these first four blessings, the poor in spirit, the the mourning, the lowly, the, the, the hungering and thirsting for righteousness is all has to do with spirituality in some way, shape, or form. It all has to do with your faith. And what Jesus is doing is he's taking you up the mountain with his other disciples and he's, and he's inviting you to take the view of life from 10,000 feet, right? He's trying to show you that what's most important is not the life that you live out in this broken and sinful world. He's inviting you to take the long view of life, to show you that you are a stranger and an alien in this world, to show you that that though you live in a broken world, you are not of this world, that you, that you are destined to live forever. That heaven is the most important thing in this life. And when this is your perspective, when this is your perspective on living the Christian life, that it's way more about the here and now, it's way more than the day to day and the month to month. It's about, it's about the future. It's about, the, it's about eternity. That's going to fundamentally transform the entire way that you look at your Christian life. Right? And the only way that eternity is a reality for you is because God has made you right with him. And that's why Jesus starts with this whole thing on spirituality. Because you can try to do all of the things that you want. You can try to follow all of the laws that God has in, these, in, in Matthew chapter 5-7 to 7, or in the Ten Commandments or anywhere else you find in Scripture. But the reality is that's going to lead you to a whole lot of failure and disappointment when you try it on your own. This is why God points you forward. This is why God points you heavenward and says, this is your starting point. Your starting point is a right relationship with me, a relationship that I made right. And it's with that perspective that Jesus moves into the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. You want to know what this perspective looks like? The perspective of having God as the starting point for your Christian life? It looks like being spiritually poor. Sure doesn't sound like a blessing, does it? Spiritually poor person, he has no ability to take care of any of his sins on his own. He has no resources to try to appease God. But this is why it is such a blessing. Because the spiritually poor person recognizes that all of his spiritual needs need to come from somewhere else. They need to come from someone else. They need to come from completely and utterly outside of him. A spiritually poor person is a, is a lost sheep in need of a shepherd. A spiritually poor person is a sinner who needs to be forgiven and called by God. And this is why Jesus calls this such a blessing. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is, is not a location or a place. It's not some place that you can look on a map and point to, here it is or there it is. The kingdom of heaven is anywhere that the Holy Spirit is working through all of the promises of the gospel, offering you the forgiveness of sins, eternal life, faith in God your Savior. And God gives this to people who are spiritually poor, not people who are not people who earn it, not people who deserve it, but to people who don't. This first blessing from Jesus, it's one of complete promise and grace of his arrow pointing down love. This is why he says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
You want to know what the, right, the right perspective on the Christian life looks like with God as your starting point? Jesus says, blessed are those who are, who are mourning, for they will be comforted. Now, this, 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 from, this statement from Jesus is not an invitation to go out and to purposefully go around and be mopey and mourn all of your life as if that's the way that you know that somebody is a disciple of Jesus or not. That's not what Jesus is telling you to do because that would be a pretty miserable life, wouldn't it? Walking around constantly sad and depressed and distressed all the time. No, what Jesus is doing here is he's showing you that this is a natural progression of somebody who is spiritually poor, who has been called by the Holy Spirit through the gospel. Right? Because when your heart is convicted by the law that you see your sins and you are forgiven by the gospel, what happens when you sin? You feel guilty. You grieve. In other words, you mourn. And Jesus calls this a blessing. Martin Luther, Martin Luther said that if you want to know what it's really like to, to mourn and to be sad, he said, become a Christian. Because it's only as a Christian that you're able to, to properly put your sins into perspective, to realize who you are and to realize what you've done against God and to realize what God has done for you. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. What Jesus is, is telling us is he's presenting a reality about the tension that exists in the life of every believer, the life of every believer that's lived out in a world that is broken and sinful. And the tension is this, that you are forgiven by God from all of your sins, but you are still a sinner. It's this reality that on this side of heaven, you will always deal with the sin and the evil and what, what it does to you in this life. But that does not mean that it will last forever because Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. That is the promise that, that one day, once and for all, sin will be eradicated forever and you will be with your God. And it's there that you will be comforted. It's there that you will be given a crown of beauty. It's there that you will be, that you will be robed in a garment of praise because it's there where Jesus says, I will comfort you. You want to know what the right perspective is on living the Christian life with God as your starting point? It's, it's being lowly. Right? Jesus says, blessed are those who are lowly. They, what does he say? I forget what the actual, I forget what the actual phrasing of it is. Let me look here. Hold on one sec. He says, blessed are those who, blessed are those who are lowly for they will inherit the earth. Sorry, I got lost in all my excitement and my thoughts. For they will inherit the earth. Jesus here again is presenting another truism about life lived as a Christian and this side of heaven. Lowly people are ones who cannot save themselves. They cannot do anything to save themselves. They're oppressed by people and things. They're oppressed by Satan and the power of all of their sin. Jesus is saying that, that if you want to be one of my followers, if you want to be a disciple, life is going to be hard, right? Because you're going to be rejected by a world because you stand for truth in a world that stands for nothing. You're going to be, you're going to be mocked by the world for, for believing in a God who claims exclusivity over your heart and not just claims it, but demands that you are going to, you are going to be, try to be silenced by the, by the vocal majority in the world who says that Christianity has nothing to offer you ever. But Jesus says that being lowly, it's blessed. Jesus is taking you once again up to 10,000 feet and showing you the long-term view of life because no matter how often or how often it happens, how hard this rejection and this oppression is, that it's not going to last forever because there will come a day when, when the lowly are lifted up and exalted and the prideful are brought down in their deceit, right? There will come a day when you will stand and you will see your God face to face and, and the only status in heaven 
that exists is not lowly or prideful. It's not, it's not humble or arrogant. The only status that exists is a redeemed, restored, forgiven child of God. Blessed are those who are lowly. For they will, inha- they will inherit the earth, the new heavens, and the new earth. You want to know what uh, the right perspective on living the Christian life is with God as your starting point? It's, it's hungering and thirsting. Jesus says, blessed are those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness, it's, it's nothing more than longing for God to, to, to act and to make good on all of the promises that he's ever made you. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness is longing for the forgiveness of sins that is already yours. Longing and, or hungering and thirsting for righteousness is longing for, for sin to never be an issue in your life. Hungering and, thirsting, or hungering and thirsting for righteousness is praying every single day, God, there is nothing I desire on this earth besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness anxiously waiting to the, the thing that Jesus is constantly pointing to, you, pointing to you. Not the thing in front of your face, not how you're going to necessarily live today or tomorrow. It's your future. It's your eternity. The place where God will satisfy you with all righteousness and blessedness forever. This is the perspective that Jesus wants you to have. Not a perspective that's, that's rooted and centered on you or, or based on your strength and your ability to live the Christian life. No, the perspective he wants you to take when you, when you look at living the Christian life is that it starts and it continues and it ends all with God. When this is the perspective that you have, gone will be the frustration, the disappointment will be mitigated, the, the, the disheartening moments about living a Christian life in this world, they'll far subside. Because when you are focusing on God, you'll find hope. When your perspective is that God is your starting point, you'll find peace and forgiveness. You'll find joy. God grants you this perspective as you seek to live a Christian life every day of your life. God grant it. Amen.